Okay. People, listen up. It's a fucking lockdown right oh, now. Come off it. We're no, not in no. a prison drama, are we? We are in a prison drama. This is the fucking Shawshank Redemption, right? But with more tunneling through shit and no fucking redemption. Screw you guys. I'm going home. Sheriff, this is no time to panic. This is the perfect time to panic. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. I ain't going with you. I'll go with Childs. Hey, fuck you, Palmer! I'm going with you! Who says I want you going with me? All right, cut the bullshit! Because the whole world gone crazy! Hey! Everybody calm the fuck down. Incidentally, who is this Damien you mentioned? Don't you know? I know nothing. Except I must go on killing Daddy. I must shame him. Are they calling these Gemini killings in the papers? You must get them to do that, Lieutenant. It's important. The Gemini is dead. No, I am not! I'm alive! I go on! I breathe! Look at me! Look at me! And tell me what you see. I see a man who looks like Damien Karras. If you looked with the eyes of faith, you'd see me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Holmes Movies Recommends. It's still 2020. Two months Somehow. Ago. <laughs> Somehow. Uh, the clocks went back and it was like, why do we have to have the clocks go back in 2020? Oh, everyone's making that joke. Shut up. I've <laughs> seen that joke a million times. Oh, one more hour of 2020. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I do not endorse that joke. That joke was funny the first time I saw it. I've seen it a hundred times since. Okay, you can judge by the voice that I'm joined by Adam over Zoom. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Adam is a writer, a budding writer, and he writes erotic political fiction. What? Yes, titles include Grab Them By The What-Oh, uh, Party In The Rose Garden, Bring Your COVID, and I Was Just Tucking In My Shirt, The Rudy Giuliani Story. I don't write those things. I do write some things, but I don't write those things. Um, the Giuliani thing is very funny, but this is not a political podcast, is it? Are we turning this into a political podcast? No, I just wanted to, because I just wanted to jazz up the introductions a little bit and stuff. We don't need to jazz it up by thinking about Rudy Giuliani in that way. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I've uh, been a bit busy the last couple of weeks. I was working as a sound recordist on a short film. Too busy to bloody podcast. Well, yeah, of course. I was, you know, working like all of... The week before and we had like a bit a few days off and then we were just work, filming in Nuremberg in uh in the northern part of Copenhagen in uh on Saturday which was really nice and uh yeah it, we just wrapped and um yeah gonna be starting an internship in the beginning of November which will be very nice I saw you had a photograph looking like Bane with a microphone <laughs> yeah no one cared who I was until I put on the mask there we go. There's a line from the movie. Um, but look, I'm glad you've been. I'm glad you've been working on 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 films. That's good. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's nice to still be able to uh, create even while uh, things are still. <laughs> oh, not God. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bloody sound recordist not creating anything and just holding a microphone and looking stupid. Hey, 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 um, hey, hey, hey! It's fifty percent of the film. It's that. What... Sure. Well, I don't know. You could get into a debate about that, but um, it is. Uh, sound yes, is very sound. sound I, is... I so we watched Mean Streets recently, Ooh, and I did not know this, but apparently Mean Streets is taught as the example of how not to do sound in a movie. Because really? the sound is so terrible. Yeah. 
Yeah, That's watch it again. Apparently the sound is just... Well, I, I mean, I watched it and I was like, oh, it just feels like an independent film. But I was on a... I mean, like a film discussion group. And one of the people in the group is a sound person who lives in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, she was saying how the sound in this movie is pants because Martin Scorsese did not give a shit about the sound because they spent all the budget on the soundtrack. They didn't actually spend it on the sound mixing and sound recording. That, um, makes, so the, that makes sense because for such a low budget movie, they're able to get so many good tracks, including Rolling Stones and a bunch of other people. Oh, like two Rolling Stones songs and, and, and a bunch of other, yeah, classic tunes. And um, yeah, I mean, I, fully half the budget of the whole film was spent on that, apparently. Yeah. I but think, we're not talking about Main Streets today. What are we talking about? What are you recommending to us? Well, I don't know because I've watched a I've watched a bunch of you films. You don't know. Well, you don't know what you're recommending. You've seen 8,000 films and you don't know what you can't think of one to recommend. Oh, here come the sirens. Nope. Later, here comes the ambulance. Oh, wait, here comes the. Oh, there's a fire truck. I swear, like, the street where I live, like, there's, like, fire engines, ambulances. There's like, strange occurrences going on. Whatever happened to that car that was parked in the middle of it? Uh, I got picked up by a. By a um, Okay, basically, yeah, so basically there was a car that broke down on the middle of the road and the driver, it looked and like... it's not an interesting story. Well, I just, well, it, it was basically looked like a guy had left it on the road, but it got picked up by Falk, which is like, what's, what's like the uh, American equivalent of a car? I mean, it's the, the, the fiber grade, <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> AA, um, the, um, yeah, so a car abandoned, picked up, that's the story. Yeah. Um, but, um... I didn't. I didn't want you spinning one of your yarns um, because <laughs> we've got to recommend a film. Yes. So to say something. Okay, I'll recommend a film. I will recommend a film. I. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna recommend a. I'm thinking of a film. Like, wait, wait, why are you buffering? <laughs> I'm not buffering. I'm gonna recommend a uh, horror film. Not a horror film that I've been watching during Scary Movie Month, but uh, a film I watched sort of, sort of in the pre, sort of amble before Scary Movie Month in in the later part of September. Otherwise known as September. Yes, basically. Have you been watching any horror films over this month? Ah, uh, yeah, a few actually. Um, uh, I've I watched uh, Suspiria the other day for the first time, and I absolutely loved it. It's great, isn't it? So much fun. Isn't, I, isn't I, the I soundtrack? Was, a... Isn't the soundtrack so good? It's more of a it's a it's a score really. It's less of a yeah. soundtrack, I'd say. It's because it's written for the film by by Goblin, um, mm. and um, yeah, no, it's it's a, a, a crazy, mad, camp, loony, brilliant, like stylish, silly film. I loved it. Yeah, um, it's a great. I, that was actually my first introduction to yellow Italian horror films. So that's what are you recommending on this episode? <laughs> this is like you are pretty. <laughs> Changing okay. the subject and talking about everything, but you're recommending a horror film you watched in September. Yes. So, what um, is it? Well, it's a sequel to, um, you know, like on one of the episodes, I recommended Jaws 2. So, I'm going to recommend a film, a sequel that probably. Jaws think... 3. What? No, you not Jaws, Jaws 3. Jaws 3 is pants. No, I would never recommend Jaws 3. Is that one that's 3D? No. What? Is that Jaws 3D? Is that yeah, one? and the 3D's terrible. But also, because they shot it in 3D, all the film looks out of focus. It's terrible. It's such a bad-looking film. And the shark looks fake than the other two films. It's a fake. <laughs> <laughs> nice reference. Hi, Dougie. Hi, Dougie. Um, so, yeah, the film I'm going to recommend is Exorcist 3. Okay. So, you've seen the first Exorcist, right? Yeah, a long time ago. Very long time ago. Did you like it? I've seen it twice. 
uh, both times I was young. Uh, I liked it the first time. I didn't like it the second time. I would probably like it if I watched it again, I think. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that the... I think the preoccupation with the of the Satan stuff in American pop culture around that time is something that turns me off enormously because it was quite sort of damaging and it was sort of it, it went hand in hand with the re- rise of the or the you know the, the rise of the evangelical movement as we see in that sort of crazed campaign against heavy metal music against Dungeons and Dragons and it's just like basically taking stuff that a lot of young people are into and telling them that it's like sinful or terrible in some way so I can't help like lumping in the exorcist with some of that but at the same time i sort of recognize it as a as a horror great but the exorcist 3 i didn't even know there was an exorcist 3 yeah there's been a like i mean i'm sure that i know there are other films about exorcism but i didn't really i didn't fully realize the exorcist is like a franchise yeah i mean i'm sure that the people who were making the exorcist had no idea that it was ever going to be so iconic or well regarded and i'm pretty sure no one was thinking about a sequel while they were making the movie and they were just you know making a film that you know won a couple of oscars and one of which was a best adapted screenplay oscar uh, sorry with a best adapted screenplay oscar for william peter blatty who also wrote the book so he adapted his own book which was actually based around a real exorcism that happened in georgetown in washington dc where the real film was set. exorcism yes you mean <laughs> of... yeah real exorcism right <laughs> so yeah apparently you're listening at home and just did the inverted commas yes um, so yeah so basically you know so the book so he started off as like a comedy writer and then he went into you know now you can tell it's a really funny movie yeah, it's yeah, true so yeah william free power of christ compelled you huh? <laughs> it's, it's like, like you if the Marx Brothers were the Exorcist, like. <laughs> beat her off her head, you see. <laughs> it's a lack of this, boss. <laughs> She's been possessed by the devil. <laughs> Quick, play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, yeah, William Friedkin. Wait, so you're still talking about the Exorcist one. So yeah, I'm just leading up to. Uh, are you going to spend this much time talking about the Exorcist two? Because if you are, I'm going to go make a cup no, of no, tea. no, 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 no. Well, okay. So William Friedkin and William Peter Blatty, they did discuss ideas about making a second film because Warner Brothers or the people that were sort of, you know, producing the film, they were thinking, they were looking at the numbers and feeling like, hey, we could definitely make a sequel out of this. And they were, and they went their separate ways because they couldn't figure out how to do a sequel. And Exorcist 2, The Heretic came out four years later and that was directed by Mm. John Borman. This was in sort of like a very sort of, he had a bit of a mini career slump after the success of Deliverance. And um, uh, yeah, emphasis on the word bore when talking about Exorcist 2, The Heretic because Exorcist 2 is a terrible, terrible, terrible film. It is so fucking boring. Nothing happens throughout the entire film. I get it. It's like a very strange film. It's so like, just nothing happens. And it's just painfully dull and aimless. And one important thing, it's not frightening in any way. And it's a little bit... There's even an exorcism in it. Well, yeah, there is a little bit of an exorcism, but it's just so boring. It's just like, it's so experimental. And it's just like, what are you guys trying to do? I mean, even like William Peter Blatty, he hated the movie. And there was like a, then they were like, I don't know what was happening, but like William Friedkin was in the studio or something and in some office building. And some guy was like, hey, we got Exorcist 2. Do you want to come and take a look at it? And 
He was like, yeah, sure, I got some time. And he got about 30 minutes into it, and he was like, what the hell is this? And apparently there was like a test screening of Exorcist 2 where people were chasing the producers after a test screening because they were like, hey, look, those are the people who made the movie. Get them! In like a really kind of Simpsons kind of way. <laughs> it, also sounds like, it also sounds like the producers. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. yeah. So, I mean... Except, yeah. It just, okay. like, the film, like, it had its fans. It, it was liked by Pauline Kael, who did not like the first one. She appreciated it for being a very tone. There's a point in her career, isn't there, where she's almost, like, willfully contrarian. Yeah. And another Like, part- I get a lot of the stuff she says is really valuable, especially, like, I always come back to this, the brilliant review she wrote of Dirty Harry, where she basically just called it, like, you know, fascism, a, a fascist <laughs> propaganda. Um but yeah. there were times where it's like, all right, Pauline, just like chill. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, Martin Scorsese really liked the movie as well, but from a religious point of view, and it's it's the and it's the most boring film I've ever seen Richard Burton in. I bet that's got some competition though, because he did some strange shit. But well, yeah, I mean, the um, thing is, he mainly did this movie as a paycheck because he was divorcing Elizabeth Taylor at the time, and well, and he had an astronomical vodka budget to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. mean, Lin- Linda Blair sort of noticed halfway through the production of the film. Wait a second, Linda Blair is in the second one. Yeah, it's about her, like the aftermath of it and stuff, and apparently, like she's... the aftermath. She has to go to like debriefings and PTSD therapy. What, yeah, what well, is she's this? having she's her, her doctor is played by Nurse Ratched herself, Louise. Fletcher, or as I like to call Ooh. her, Miss Ratchet. <laughs> well, hang on a minute. So you've got you've got you've got Louise Fletcher, Richard Burton, Linda Blair. Yeah, you've got John Borman directing. You've got a great and concept, ha- and and more importantly, you have James Earl Jones playing an African witch doctor, which sounds really problematic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so he is the Rafiki of the movie. Basically, um, yes. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So that's. But still, it's James. But still, it's James. James L. Jones is in the film. You've yeah. got. It's wonderful. It's it's amazing when this stuff happens and they get all this. All these uh, stars literally align and they fuck it up. Yeah, they fucked it up. They completely fucked it up. And also, it's not the wor- it's not the other bad film in the franchise. They did a prequel in two thousand and four with Stellan Skarsgård playing the Max von Sydow character. So it's like, okay, who's a very recognizable Swedish actor? Stellan Skarsgård. He can play him. And there's at least two versions of the prequel because originally Paul Schrader directed one, directed the prequel, but then he was fired and then they reshot the entire film with a mostly new cast and Stellan Skarsgård and a few other people stayed on and Finnish director Rennie Harlan came on and apparently Paul Schrader and w- William Peter Blatty were actually kicked out of the premiere of the film because they were laughing too loudly and William Peter Blatty prefers Paul Schrader's cut of the film which is called Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. I had no idea all this stuff had ever happened. This is insane. Yeah, so, I mean, they basically... Because Paul Schrader's version was very cerebral and they wanted a more... The studio, Morgan Creek Entertainment, they wanted a more conventional horror film and they got that from Rennie, Rennie Harlan. It just wasn't a really good one. So, yeah, the bad films do outweigh the good ones in this particular franchise. So, William Peter Blatty wrote a book called... So often the case, though, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it's the same with, like, Alien. So, William Peter Blatty, he wrote a book called Legion, which was... Aren't there more more good Alien films? The first two? Oh, and then there's, like, thousands of others. Well, Alien 1, 2 are great. It's, like... And then 3 is is fine, the David Fincher one. And the fourth one is bad, but it's still kind of enjoyable from, from a guilty pleasure's point of view. So that's so yeah, it's like 50-50. But yeah, the the Exorcist walked there. So so are we finally gonna talk about Exorcist three? Because yeah, um, I was just I was just laying some sort of groundwork. Okay. Setting the scene. So you've had you've had a one iconic film very, very uh, obviously a lot of investment in the second one, but yeah. massive turd 
uh, in the you know that, that landed. So they think, okay, well, third time's the charm. So yes. they make yes. Exorcist three. So they make so William Peter Blatty. He wrote a book called Legion, which was published in 1983, and it's a mixture of horror and the Who Done It detective genre, and that served <laughs> as the basis for what would be Exorcist three, which he would be directing and writing as well, and that was released in 1990. So the film stars George C. Scott as Lieutenant William Kinderman, who is, re- who is replacing the role that was played by Lee J. Cobb in The First Exorcist. Oh. And um, so he is a man who is basically haunted by the events of the first film as he was friends with Father Damien Karras, who is played, um, played by Jason Miller, who I didn't actually realize is the father of Jason Patrick, which blew my mind. And uh, Father Damien Karras, as most people know, he's the guy who jumps out of the window and falls down the steps <laughs> at the end of the first Take one. Take me! Take me! Demi, why you do this to me? Oh, that's such a terrifying scene. Anyway, so yeah, so Kinderman is basically someone who is losing his faith in humanity, and the film begins on the 15th anniversary of Father Karras's death, and he spends that day with Father Joseph Dyer, and he is played by... I'm not joking. The guy who plays Father Joseph Dyer in this film is called Ed Flanders. Kindly hope. <laughs> so, yeah, these two, they banter with one another and they have a very strong friendship. It's, it's really well written and their performances and the chemistry are really strong. It's, it's, like, it's like watching like a married couple. And, um, you know, it's, you can really believe that these two have very much benefited, benefited from each other and from one another's company over the years. And they've been friends for a really long time. And Kinderman is investigating these very brutal murders that are familiar of the Gemini killer, a serial killer who died in an execution uh, 15 years ago. And um, the Gemini killer was based on the Zodiac killer. And Uh, um, his investigation leads to the psychiatric wing of a hospital where he meets Patient X, played by Jason Miller, a man who looks like the late father Damien Karras. And his form changes between Father Karras and that of James Veneman, played by Brad Dorif, who is the Gemini killer. So it's um, so basically... Brad Dorif is our guy. He shows up in all sorts of things. And yeah, Brad Dorif, he is fucking amazing in this movie. He is terrifying as well. It's just... Ne- he's never... He's one of those people who's never put in a bad performance in this movie. No, life. he is even just... Even in like... You know, even in films that aren't particularly good, like he's still brilliant. He is just giving it his all in this movie. There's just like the way he's introduced into the film is absolutely terrifying in the most simple way. And I think Exorcist 3 is really effective as a psychological horror film and is a true sequel and heir to the first exorcism film. And William Peter Blatty directs the film like with such unique simplicity and restraint. It is a slight slow burn. It, re- it relies heavily on mood. It's very unnerving, and it's similar to the style of the first film that William Friedkin directed, and it's very light on music, and it has a very eerie sound design. There's no stylish camera work to make the film more frightening than it needs to be. Like, the camera is just static, and there's these really, like, long, drawn-out takes where you're just on edge, and you're just sitting in anticipation for something scary to happen. And there's, like, one particular scene where it's just brilliantly built up to such a satisfying crescendo, and I jumped at one moment. It's so it's so good like William Friedkin I mean sorry William Peter Blatty did a very good job and it's such a like great script as well he was a very good writer and there's such like intrigue and it has such an engaging mystery that pulls you into the film and George C. Scott as Kinderman it's one of his best performances and he carries the film so elegantly and he's and he's made he was made for horror films the other horror film that he was good in 
was a haunted house film called The Changeling, which came out in 1980, that. played uh, directed by Peter Medak, which is a terrifying film. Also, I think that film is on Martin Scorsese's favorite scariest horror films list, along with like The Shining and The Exorcist and a bunch of other films. But the person who steals the whole film is Brad Dorff as the Gemini Killer. And it's just one of the most frightening and charismatic performances that you're ever going to see in a horror film. Bit of trivia about the film. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer, was actually a huge fan of this movie. And oh. apparently, according to one of his um, survivors, he was forced to watch the film with Jeffrey Dahmer. And apparently, Jeffrey Dahmer was very engaged and enthralled by it and was in a very sort of hypnotic state when he was watching the film. Jesus. Yeah. That's that's um creepy. That's concerning. Yeah. But there's like some really great shots of Brad Dorf where it's just like close-ups are on him where he's like staring directly into the camera and it's just it's like he's looking into your soul and he's like penetrating your inner conscious and psyche with his really threatening eyes. His role in the theatrical cut of the film was reduced slightly. He he shares the role with Jason Miller, who was brought back because the studio wanted a familiar face. Because this is a, I mean, again with the prequel, The Exorcist, they there's like two cuts of this film, one of which is called the Legion Cut, which was William Peter Blatty's like original cut of the film, and apparently it was like lost for a period of time. But then they found a bunch of footage from the original cut, and they cut it together in this film. And it's still, I, I saw this film like I saw both versions back to back. Because Arrow, Arrow Video released a Blu-ray where you can watch where they've released both films in that in that DVD. So it's like in his cut of the film, Legion cut, the Legion cut, it doesn't have an exorcism, and Jason Miller's character is not in the film because he wanted a film that was very, you know, he wanted to distance itself from Exorcist Two and do something that was a little bit more different and not really have it be called Exorcist Three. He just wanted it to be called Legion. And uh, Nicole Williamson, who plays a character called Father Mourning, he's not in the original cut, or is Jason Miller, and they wanted and they forced an exorcism scene into the finale of Exorcist Three, which William Peter Blatty was. I hate it when people fuck up good things. Yes, because it's like it's that famous quote from William Goldman: "No one in Hollywood knows what they're talking about or knows what they're doing." And you know, William Peter Blatty had a lot of fights with the, with Morgan Creek Entertainment, and sadly, he lost the fight. And George C. Scott and a bunch of actors, including Brad Dorff, were very, they were very, they, they said so many positive things about, about him. And George C. Scott famously said the producers of this film wouldn't be satisfied until, you know, you know, they wouldn't be satisfied if, unless Madonna came on and sang a song at the end. Which is kind well, of funny. But so, so yeah. So, so, so you should watch both cuts is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean. I'm not like saying which one. I mean, both do things very differently. They both feel like two very separate films. Like one of them is a like the theatrical cut is basically, you know, it's an exorcism movie and it sort of feels like a sequel and stuff. While the, the other one, the William Peter Blatty film is a little bit more, it's a little bit more ambiguous. It's a little bit more cerebral and it's a little bit more, a bit more on the psychological edge. And it's not so like, flashy as as the theatrical cut like i i think both versions are good i think both do things differently and maybe a little bit better but i you know they're both fine films like both like both versions are fine well it sounds i honestly it sounds really up my street i i think um i think i'm gonna add that to my uh, watch list so yeah yeah thank you. i will say brad dorf's performance in the 
the William Peter Blatty director's cut is much better because I think his performance is a lot more restrained and more creepy in that regard. Like in the other one, he's like, he, you know, shout, shout and shout again kind of thing. But still, it's still there. Dorf isn't a shouter. That's the thing. Like you don't really imagine Brad Dorf as a shouting man. Yeah, he is a bit of a, he's a bit of a shouter. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, normally he's not. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying is that's, that's unusual that he would do that. He would go that route. Because he's normally quite sort of quiet and intense rather than like loud. Oh, uh, you should see the Child's Play movies where he voices the Chucky doll. He shouts a lot in that movie. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Maybe I just haven't seen the right performance. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's fun watching both versions back to back. And it's quite fun that the it's a, like his version of the film is available so you can get a clear idea of what he was going for. And it's, you know, if, if that, I mean... If that version was put into cinemas, maybe it would have found an audience. Maybe it would have divided them. Who knows? There would have been a small cult following and it probably would have gotten a more modern, positive response when it came out. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say which version is better than the other. It's not really a competition to show which one is the superior version. It's, you know, it's rewarding that, you know, his version is available. And I think it's great. That's the thing. It's just the fact that another one exists is good, you know? Yeah. So it's, you know, we, we, we can, it's like, you know, you know, you know, I mean, it's it's great that they were able to find all this footage. I mean, a lot of it is lost, but it's great that they were. Able, I mean, the, the in the Legion cut, it does at times. It you know, it has the theatrical version, and then it sort of cuts to like some VHS dailies. But it's still very. It's still it doesn't ruin it for. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's the way it is with a lot of films from. Um, you know, a lot of films where there's lost footage. I mean, the the version of uh, A Star Is Born from the fifties with uh, um, Judy Garland and James Mason has some scenes in the modern cut where they um, they use stills from the yeah. production because they couldn't find the actual footage, and that's fine. You follow it pretty well. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's my little review of the film. So it's uh, I'd give it four out of five stars. Oh, typically generous um yeah and but, uh, don't take this as i mean don't take this as an insult i do mean this as a compliment watching george c scott in this film is kind of how i see you as an older man i think that's i how how as a, a grizzled detective no just like just you know like we're fine like a bit like that and stuff there's mo like there's a moment where he's just like it is not in the file it's not <laughs> it's just kind of reminded me oh, that and i i, I first of all your george c scott impression is amazing and second of all um i i think i'm gonna be a quiet old man i think i'm doing <laughs> uh, do all my rage uh, early in life I, I mean i'm gonna be a i'm an angry young man who's gonna turn into a a, 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 a sort of disgruntled old man i feel like i'm gonna be closer to like i don't know um abe simpson <laughs> under a better word shut up <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. I I think I aspire to be like uh, Henry Fonda, and I'll I'll turn into some sort of like I'll be like one of those guys in the bar at the end of Back to the Future. Like, yeah, he looks like he took his shoes off a dead Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> Look who raised through the door. Yeah, exactly. That's gonna be me. Anyway, enough of that. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's my recommendation of the day. Uh, so yeah, of the day evening. Well, this isn't. We long since gave up on this being a daily thing. Since you know, you went off and did your bloody movies. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Well, this haven't been coming out every day. People have noticed that we have basically not released an episode for about a month. That is true. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, join us 
tomorrow or in another month's time to hear me recommend a film. Yes, I'm looking forward. Oh, and uh, you should follow us both on Letterboxd because we have lots of lists and things that you can look at, including yes. the list of Holmes Movies Recommends. So you can go back over all the other crap films that we recommended and watched yeah. them. And uh, one of the films you actually recommended is something that I have uh, on my pile, and that is Carnival of Souls. Oh man, that is such a fun film. Oh, I've yes. Been I've been reading up a little bit about it. They apparently they only had like five people on the crew, like on the entire you can tell. film crew. You, 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 you can tell, uh, it, but <laughs> but in a good way. I mean it in the best possible way. It is it is perfect, like independent movie making. It is so good. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to watching it, and um, I'm also looking forward to hearing what uh, you will be recommending to us. Oh, yes. yes. Maybe I should stick with the scary theme, seeing as we're in October. Yes. What a great way to escape the horrors of 2020 by watching some made-up ones. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Well, that concludes another episode. I've been Anders Holmes. Do check us out on Twitter and send us an email to homesmoviespodcast at gmail.com. And do you have anything to po plug with the Du Bois Center? Oh, yeah, we did a video recently, speaking of 2020, uh, there's an election coming up, uh, you might have heard about it, um, but vote. we did a video about, yeah, exactly, <laughs> do vote, um, uh, unless you plan to vote for Trump, in which case, uh, jump off a bridge, uh, but um, the um, we did a video that just showcases some of Du Bois's writing that we think has some relevance to now, so you can watch that, Anders can drop the link into show notes. Mm -hmm. I uh, I added it. I linked it to um, our. Uh, I did another. It's a it's different different video. Different yeah, video. no, it's a different video. But I I linked it to an, uh, uh, the Audette episode that I posted on YouTube today. What the one the 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 words of Du Bois for our time that one. Yeah. Oh, cool! I can't believe you're actually like doing doing that shit. Oh crap! It's playing. Look, I'm trying to get the link on. <laughs> No, because it's I the link. get the link up on YouTube to send you in the chat, and then no, no, starts. no, you sent it to me on WhatsApp, so I just took it from there. And oh, God, I completely forgot I did that. Well, um, well, there you go. Um, yeah. So yeah, okay. Well, uh, uh, please, yeah, do do add that again. Um, people should watch it because um, it just gives you know you know a nice uh, rhetorical um, uh, framework for for thinking about. Um, the longer history of all the problems that we're going through right now mm. um yeah no nothing to plug on the on the uh on the web du bois front um yeah i i can't believe that like his legacy is now like tied up with this stupid film podcast <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not how he wanted it to go <laughs> i am almost certain that he did not want to be um yeah somehow linked to this uh uh ridiculous project anyway um it's my job. I like to spread the the joy. Everyone mm. should read Du Bois because it's great writing and it makes you think yes. about stuff that's important. So, um, it's like a Sean Bean. Uh, I'm it makes you think about th what? stuff. It was like Sean Bean there for a second. It was like I think about stuff. That doesn't sound like Sean Bean at all. You sound like um, I was like a British uh, William Shatner. Yeah, that was a terrible. Choice. Yeah, you, you sound like someone from like you sound like Jarvis Cocker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, or, or that bloke from the Lightning Seeds. Um, yeah, so um, let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like a Lord of the Rings film, we can't seem to end. <laughs> no, okay. Goodbye. Yeah, goodbye.